Well, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas between the snow that has fallen over the last day with then also the Christmas lights still up oh, so many places around town. Things are feeling awfully Christmassy around here. Just, you know, a week too late. Time moves strangely between Christmas and New Year's celebrations. And so it feels both like yesterday and forever ago that we gathered here in worship in this sanctuary and also online to light candles and to sing Silent Night in celebration of Jesus' birth. And we are continuing with the Christmas story this morning as the Magi come to visit the Christ child, having traveled from some distant land and arriving days or even years after Jesus' birth. They are traditionally the final part of the story, the last figurines to be added around the manger, and they bring with them not just gifts, but the end of the Christmas season and all it entails. And yet, a closer look at their story might teach us instead how to hold on to the spirit of Christmas all year long. Let us pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Christmas is always over much too quickly for me. After so much preparation and anticipation, I refuse to even think about taking down the Christmas decorations around our house for as long as possible, and not just because I don't want to do the actual work of putting everything away. I want to hang on to everything that makes Christmas special, whatever that special something is in the Christmas season that makes things feel manageable for a moment, whatever it is that makes Christmas feel like there is a hope and a peace worth hanging on to. I want Christmas to linger like the smell of Christmas cookies in the kitchen, like the tiny fragments of glitter that come off the special Christmas wrapping paper and gets embedded in the living room carpet and is impossible to remove. I want Christmas to stay for as long as it can. And that leaves me sounding like a liturgical purist at times. We bought a new Advent calendar this year to help mark the season for our son's first Christmas and to start a tradition that we might continue every year as he grows up. It's a somewhat unique design that we stumbled onto online that I love for how it uses the biblical story to count down the days until Christmas. There's this long wooden base with notches labeled from 1 to 25, and then little figurines that fit into those notches so you can move them from notch to notch, space to space, one place further every day, making your way from the first day of December all the way to Christmas. And it begins with a Mary and Joseph figurine on their way to Bethlehem until it gets changed out for a star on the 24th on Christmas Eve. And then on the 25th on Christmas Day, there's a little depiction of the nativity scene as Jesus is born on Christmas Day. It was a wonderful thing to do to move these little figures all the way along the way up until Christmas. And when we made it there, I didn't want to stop. And so I insisted instead that the liturgical celebration of Christmas is 12 days long, just as in the song. And so Christmas isn't over until the wise men have followed the star all the way to Bethlehem and they arrive on Epiphany. Now, this Advent calendar didn't come with a Magi piece, but that didn't stop me. And so we're now moving the star figurine ever closer to the nativity scene with each of the 12 days of Christmas, because I do not let Christmas go any earlier 
then I can help it. But sometimes, there's no helping it. And the essence of Christmas seems to dissipate quickly, no matter what the liturgical calendar might prescribe. Reality breaks in somehow or another. Vacations end and we travel home to laundry that needs to be washed or bathrooms that need cleaned. Our days off for the holiday end and we enter a new year that feels an awful lot like the old year and we return to the regular routine of work day in and day out or school day in and day out. The news stops working so hard to find festive and heartwarming stories and so we hear again the tragic and the terrible reports of the horrors of the world. Stories of war and hunger and wildfires, persecution, oppression, and on and on and on and on and on. Sometimes a beloved celebrity dies. Rest in peace, Betty White. Sometimes, despite our greatest efforts, reality returns. In fact, it's built right into the liturgical calendar as much as I wish it wasn't. Four days after Christmas, five in the Orthodox Church, comes the Feast of the Holy Innocents, an often overlooked but important remembrance in the church calendar. And it's a reference to the part of the story hinted at by this morning's scripture and coming just a few verses later here in Matthew chapter 2. The arrival of the Magi looking for a newborn king has disturbed Herod, who considers this newborn to be a threat to his own power. And so he tries to secretly use the Magi to find Jesus, but as we heard, the Magi were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. So they don't. Herod is furious but unthwarted and orders the killing of all boys two years and younger in Bethlehem. Just a few days after Christmas, these children are remembered as holy innocents. Despite our greatest efforts, reality returns. Interpreters of this scripture sometimes try to demonstrate their scholarly prowess by pointing out that there is no record of this massacre. The ancient historian Josephus gives a relatively thorough account of King Herod's reign and his brutality, detailing even how he killed three of his own sons because he saw them as threats to his power, and yet Josephus fails to mention the 2,000 children of Bethlehem. But a tone-deaf fixation on lacking historical records misses the opportunity to engage with a world where violence is so normalized. What must it say about humanity that we would let something so tragic happen and then fade from memory, failing even to write it down? What must it say about us that such horrific violence could become so commonplace that it goes unremembered. Trying to blot out the harsher realities of the world is fruitless and damaging to humanity. And so the church instructs us to remember the holy innocents, to remember them within the celebration of Christmas and as a part of the Christmas story, their story, and every story of power used to punish the innocent in all the years since, does not bring an early end to the Christmas season, but opens the story to its fullest expanse. The Christmas story, like humanity and the whole world, holds both tragic and holy extremes close together. It is an uneasy balance, 
And we are often pulled to one side or the other, whether that's using Christmas to blind us to the world or fixating on the tragedies to the extreme. One interpreter commenting on the scripture wished the Magi had done more and suggested that they should have gone back and done something to prevent the tragedy to come. I understand the sentiment as if we should all exhaust ourselves in pointless pursuits of righteous causes. But the Magi had a dream not to go back, a divine intervention instructing them not to go back. And in Matthew's gospel, the foreigners are universally presented as the example in discipleship. And so the Magi are the example here. They did what they were supposed to do because sometimes we don't have the power to fix the wickedness around us. Recognizing this is vital to the Christmas story. When the Magi came looking for the newborn king, they came to Jerusalem, the economic center, a city with prestige and power. And then they were told to keep on moving to tiny Bethlehem. The priests and the legal experts quote Micah, saying, You, Bethlehem, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah. But Micah had to say this because everyone thought that Bethlehem was the least. Bethlehem was the weakest and the wimpiest, and so Micah had to reorient all the listeners to exactly how God works through small cities and tiny babies and fractional movements that add up to something much bigger than any one of them on their own. Herod wielded his power in an attempt to crush his enemies, but we are called to something much harder and far better, the way of the Magi. They did not support Herod, and they did all that was in their limited power to do in resisting Herod. And they made their way to Bethlehem, where the text tells us they were filled with joy. What a contradictory and wonderful thing. Joy in the midst of the world's harsher realities. Joy in the midst of a terrible story. They were a stargazing people, these magi had spent their years looking into the heavens. And so it is no wonder that it is a star that brought them joy when they discovered what they had always loved could lead them to Christ. How what they loved could become a way to discover God at work in the world. May we all find that. That what we love can be a source of joy, a place for God to become present, a joy that carries Christmas through even the harder times. It's a harder lesson to learn, but there have many, there are many who have learned it well in the most impossible of situations. Eli Weisel, the author and Holocaust survivor, described once a memory of a fellow prisoner in Auschwitz trading a ration of bread for materials with which to piece together a makeshift menorah during Hanukkah. Shocked that the man would trade something so essential to his survival, Weisel asked him, Hanukkah in Auschwitz? And the man replied, especially in Auschwitz. Celebrating Christmas might be the same. Christmas in tragic and terrible and awful times, perhaps especially so. Black America, through many trials and tribulations, knows the same lesson. And it was the black poet Toy Derricott who captured it all in a single line of a poem so well as she wrote, Joy is an act of resistance. 
And so it is when the world is crushing and terrible, when power oppresses and wickedness reigns. Well, to live joyfully, to find the Christ child that brings about such joy is a recapturing of humanity, a reaffirmation that God is still present and God is still working. Joy is an act of resistance. Or the poet Jack Gilbert says it differently and also well in a poem of his. As he writes, we must risk delight. We can do without pleasure, but not delight, not enjoyment. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world. Christmas should not be halted by reality, as terrible as it might be. Christmas might continue on into and through the ruthless furnace of this world, risking joy along all the way, risking joy because God is with us. We can do all that we can to push back at the wicked forces of the world. And even so, we can have joy. We can risk joy and discover that God is with us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, I invite you to stand as we continue in